This podcast is brought to you by The Empowerment Project. Research proves that empowerment self-defense training makes you safer, period. I want you to have a great self-defense toolkit so you can create strong boundaries, speak with confidence, and take up all the space that you deserve in the world. We'll hear stories from survivors and find out what worked for them and why. We'll interview leaders in the field and talk about tips, concepts, and really easy things that you could do to make yourself safer and interrupt the cycle of violence. I've taught self-defense classes for over 30 years, and I promise to teach you everything I know. Ultimately, I'm going to want you to get some in-person training, but a great empowerment self-defense class is more than just the physical skills. The list of things I want to teach you is endless, so let's get to it. My name is Sylvia Smart, and welcome to The Empowerment Project. Welcome, listeners. I am so glad you're here. Today, we're going to take a deep dive into the topic of coercion. It's complex, and there are a lot of gray areas in here. It's an incredibly nuanced subject, and to cover it with integrity, we're going to need to talk about things like sex and intimacy, and these can be challenging on lots of different levels. But luckily, we have an expert with us, Justine Hallowell from the University of Oregon. She's here with us today, and I'll introduce you to her in just a second. But first, I just want to remind you that you are important and Like I just mentioned, some of the stuff that we're going to talk about in this episode might be hard. It might bring stuff up for you like memories, experiences, relationships you've had, and it is okay to stop and to come back later or to take a breathing break or to wait to listen until you're with a friend. You taking care of you, that always comes first when you're listening to the Empowerment Podcast by Naga, but especially with this episode. According to the dictionary, coercion is the practice of persuading someone to do something by using force or threats. As an empowerment self-defense instructor, uh, participants in my classes, and Justine, probably yours, have often opened up about their experiences with coercion as we share our stories hundreds of times. Justine and I want to help you grow your awareness around coercion so you can spot it and call it out for what it is. We also want to help you build your toolkit so you have strength and strategies for dealing with coercion if you ever have to. And that said, we're going to break this huge topic apart into two episodes. First, we're going to learn all about coercion from Justine, what it looks like, what it sounds like, what it feels like in all of its its, uh, nuances. And in the second episode, Justine and I want to focus more on you. How do you build your awareness around this particular type of manipulation? How do you grow your resilience to it? And what tools can you add to your self-defense toolkit that you may or may not already have? So it's going to be amazing. And now I get to introduce Justine Hallowell. Justine has done lots of research and thinking and teaching around this whole issue of coercion and how it relates to sexual assault and empowerment self-defense. And I'm really excited to learn from her today, and I know you're going to love her too. Justine began her teaching career at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. 
She's been teaching at the University of Oregon in the PE and Rec department and at Peace Health's cardiac rehab program since 2003. In addition to teaching empowerment classes, she's a master teacher in the discipline of yoga. How cool is that? Justine is passionate about holistic practices that address women's health and safety. Welcome, Justine. Hi, Sylvia. I'm so excited to be here. I'm really excited to have you. Justine, I used a totally canned version of a quick bio off the internet. So I want to start here with you, with your story, with who you are, how you got to where you are today, your journey. Can you tell us a little bit about it and where'd you grow up and how did you get to the University of Oregon? How did this all happen? Sure. So I grew up in a small town in Minnesota. And my partner was offered a position at the University of Oregon. And so we packed up and moved from Rochester, Minnesota, where the Mayo Clinic started, and came to Eugene, Oregon. And I actually went back to school and also began teaching yoga um, at the university when we first arrived. My journey to teaching empowerment self-defense started about eight years ago when the director of our PE and rec department said that Dr. Jocelyn Hollander and Ryan Kelly were developing this curriculum of teaching empowerment-based self-defense to women on campus. And they asked me if I was interested. And I, of course, wanted to do anything to help women prevent any type of sexual assault or abuse, but I was rather nervous. I had a lot of experiences in my past and a lot of healing, a lot of therapy, and I felt like, well, it's in this nice, neat little box with a ribbon tied up and I think I'm gonna have to untie that box if I'm gonna do this work. So it was, it was a worthwhile endeavor and Jocelyn has been an incredible mentor. And I learned so much from my students as well. And it's, as you know, Sylvia, talking about empowerment self-defense, really affects every aspect of our lives, our confidence in lots of relationships and interactions. So that's really how things got started. And yes, uh, first, thank you um, for kind of giving us an idea about how you got here. And yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that's so cool about empowerment self-defense is it's about everything <laughs> like you can go like it changes everything when yeah. when you start to learn it and talk about it and um you know all all of the pieces of it they could start to come together it it does it changes everything in a really positive way usually right absolutely yeah anything else you want us to know about you i think that yoga is a really great form of self-care and also to really help us be in our bodies and raise our level of awareness. And so it really is a great complement to women's self-defense. 
Okay, so yeah, so you're a, yeah, tell us about that. Like, how did you get involved in yoga and how did you come to teach at, what is it called, the Peace? It's the Oregon Heart and Vascular Institute oh, okay. at Peace Health. Nice. So I started doing yoga, oh, at the end of the 90s. And this was in Arizona. And when I moved back to Minnesota, there just weren't any opportunities to practice yoga anywhere. And so I was working in finance, actually, at the Mayo Clinic, and I went to their healthy living center and said, I would love to be practicing yoga, and I'm willing to teach. My background was teaching dance, and they were super excited and said, we would love to offer a yoga class here. And so just doors started opening, and then I went ahead and got certified through integrative yoga therapy. And shortly after that, I started working in the cardiac rehab program at the Mayo Clinic, offering classes to patients there. So when we moved to Oregon, I actually had a video of one of my sessions at the Mayo Clinic with the patients there. And so I sent my resume along with the video, and the Oregon Heart and Vascular Institute said, you're hired, please, please come work with us. So it's really been a rewarding experience. And like you said, yeah, I think um, yoga, like swimming, running, like all of the athletic endeavors can be a really wonderful healing tool that brings us back to our body for anyone who's had trauma, for anyone who's, you know, kind of out of their body or has had some really hard, challenging experiences. It's so great. And yoga seems like, yeah, a perfect match because it's so gentle in some ways and so healing. And the emphasis on the breath, I think, is really helpful. So when we're in a situation where we're not sure, can I trust this person? What's happening? Are things getting escalated? If I can start by taking a breath, that's really going to help me making a decision on what's my next step and to remind myself, okay, I need to stay grounded here. My safety is my priority. Yeah, it's awesome. If you're ready, let's turn our attention to the topic of the day, which is coercion. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. <laughs> okay, let's do it. So there are a number, as I understand it, there are a number of ploys or strategies that assailants use to perpetrate their crimes. They use approaches like manipulation, guilt, gaslighting, grooming, and physical force as just a few examples. You and I are going to talk about this tactic that we call coercion. Can you start us off by telling us in your words, not the, you know, the canned dictionary um, description, but definition, I should say, can you tell us in your words, like, what is it and how does it work? How do you talk about it? I know that's a big question, but (laughs) take it away. So... It's interesting when you read the dictionary definition because it talked about there being an active threat. So my understanding of sexual coercion is that there's no threat of physical violence. 
but it's still unwanted sexual activity that happens because we're feeling pressured. And so there's different ways that we might feel that pressure. So someone might just wear us down by repeatedly asking for sex. Um, I might feel like the relationship is threatened, that if I am not performing sexually, that the relationship will end. There could be some sort of power dynamic where it just makes me feel a sense of obligation. And there are lots and lots of ploys that are used. And some of them may seem really silly, like, oh, nobody would ever say that. And, and they actually do. And some of them you have to decide, like, oh, are they being really genuine? Or is this a manipulation? So I'll give you a couple of examples. Please. So someone might say that they love you so sex without a condom would be a statement of their commitment to a monogamous relationship. They might say, oh, I know that it'll feel so much better for you too if we don't use a condom. And so if I really want to use a condom, but I am hearing someone use this type of pressure, it may be persuasive. Um, Sometimes people might say things like, oh, I could teach you about sex. You should learn from me so you don't seem so inexperienced with other people. Someone might say that sex is my obligation because I turned them on. So some of these seem like, again, who's ever going to say that? But these things really do happen. Sometimes people will say things like, oh, I know you feel the chemistry between us. I know you're going to like it. I promise it'll be fun, and I promise to pull out. So these are, some of them are charming, and some of these are clear ploys, like an unsolicited promise always raises a red flag in my mind. And sometimes people use negging or typecasting, so I'm sure a nice girl like you, Sylvia, wouldn't want to feel so uninhibited. There's lots of different ploys, and these lines are really designed to confuse and distract you from what you want, and they're common tactics of sexually coercive people. And I want you to just notice that I said coercive people and I didn't say predator. I want to focus on the behaviors and not label the person. Mm-hmm. Because this makes it easier for people to recognize coercive behaviors rather than getting into the emotional challenges of labeling someone that you know or someone possibly that you love. That can be really difficult. So if I'm talking about behaviors that put undue pressure on me, I'm not saying, oh, this person is a predator. I'm not saying that they shouldn't take responsibility either. So if they are putting pressure on me that's undue, that's still a problem and we want to address it. That is a great way of talking about it because, it, yeah, I mean, it's a focus on the behavior. And I think in all of our empowerment, self-defense teaching, you know, when we're talking about, quote, the perpetrator or whatever, it it's more helpful to discuss like, what are they doing? Mm -hmm. How does it look? What does it feel like? Like those are things we can actually 
learn from versus just a label. I love that. And can I ask you a question? You mentioned the word, I think you said, I don't think you said nagging. I think you said nagging. Oh, nagging. Can you talk? Is that true? What can you tell us about that? So typecasting is synonymous with nagging. And typecasting is a phrase that I got from uh, Gavin DeBecker, who is a risk analysis expert. And just recently, one of my teaching assistants at the university said to our university students, this is like negging, and that's what we're talking about online, and people are telling stories about negging. So the term is actually new to me, but I understand the meaning if I call it typecasting. Got it. So it's basically undermining someone and making them feel like they have to prove themselves to you. So in Gavin DeBecker's book, The Gift of Fear, one of the stories is about um, this woman who's carrying groceries up to her apartment, and this man offers to help her, and she's like, no, I don't want any help. And, and he says, well, there is so much, such a thing as having too much pride. So that's a form of typecasting as well. So he was trying to get her to change her mind and let him help her with the groceries because he was trying to really create some trust, undeserved trust, I might add. Yeah. Thank you for explaining that to me and breaking mm-hmm. it down. Um, yeah. So where do you want to go from here? How about if I give you just a little bit of background? So sure. um, let's see. Trying to remember how many years ago. It's probably about seven years ago. Dr. Charlene Sen from the University of Windsor in Canada was visiting the University of Oregon, and she has a program, uh, Sexual Assault Resistance Training for University Women, and she's a researcher. And she shared with me and my cohort um, some information about her program and looking at the research and how they were effectively reducing sexual assault. And she said, unfortunately, they were not seeing the needle move very much when it comes to looking at sexual coercion. And I was really curious, what exactly is she talking about? Mm -hmm. What is sexual coercion? And she said one of the tools that she uses is a recording of a man's voice um, talking in ways that's really persuasive and persistent. And she played part of the audio recording for us, and we were just blown away. And quite frankly, we were terrified, like, oh my gosh, that would be really hard to listen to. Um, And she shared with us a little bit more about the program. They do sexuality education as well, based on OWL, our whole lives, to really support what options do we have um, to really be more resilient against sexual coercion. And so after learning about 
what Charlene is offering and learning more about, well, what is sexual coercion? I just really wanted to dive in because I felt like this has got to be so common. And I've not heard anybody really even talking about this. So that really pushed me to dive in. And one of my students who became a teaching assistant um, back in 2017, she said, Justine, I just discovered this podcast. It's called The Heart by Caitlin Prest, and she's doing a mini-series called No. And she said, I really think you should listen to it. And this student knew me pretty well, and she was quite generous. And she said, I know about your background, and I want you to take care of yourself. I want you to listen to this. But take breaks and call me at any time if you want to talk about it, because it's a pretty intense topic. And so her introduction for me into this podcast really opened up a much deeper understanding. And then I decided that I would actually share some segments of this podcast in my classes. So by the time that I'm sharing the podcast, I've already been meeting with the students weekly for about six or seven weeks. And so I've built a lot of trust and rapport with them. And I tell them this is a really difficult topic. And we even do some, it seems like kind of silly things, but we do trauma-informed um, basics like, okay, does anybody want a fidget spinner? Let's bring in some coloring supplies, some Play-Doh. Take breaks when you need it. Um, so being able to listen to these recordings and being able to take care of ourselves and then to be able to talk about it is really important. I love that you found this. This topic is so subtle and it's so intimate and it's so nuanced that I was I was thinking about like whenever I start a class I always say okay like what does it mean that we're going to learn self defense like what do you understand that we're going to do today we're going to hit stuff you know we're going to kick and we're going to you know we're going to learn how to knock someone out and 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 yes <laughs> yes that is one of the things that we're going to do but it's always like this whole retraining around actually where self-defense is most effective has nothing to do with that. It, that stuff is important to have in your back pocket so you always know that you have it and it's your confidence is fueled by it. And so it's a really important piece. But this, like the more we drill down to the intimate, to our relationships, to the way we allow other people to treat us, to the way that we listen to our bodies, to the way that we plan for events that have potential to be, you know, to be out of control for us, or all of the ways that we focus on the smaller end of that continuum of sexual assault, like the lower end or the more intimate end, like that is where self-defense really shows up for us. And it's also more gray area and it's also just 
harder to pick apart and it's harder to talk about because it brings stuff up for people. Whereas like hitting and kicking can be really empowering and fun. This stuff, sometimes it's not as fun. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's a little hard. <laughs> so Thank I just wanted you. to yes. like just re- reiterate that that you mentioned that. Yes. And I really feel like if we can identify sexual coercion and set boundaries around that, like we're unstoppable when it, because that's the most intimate setting, right? When we decide that we're willing to be in a space with someone to trust them on that level, if we can identify coercion and stop it, boy, we can handle anything else because that is, there's so many more gray pieces. And also, I think too, maybe talking about gender socialization. So that plays a big factor in this. So if you think about, especially in heterosexual relationships, how boys are often taught that they're supposed to keep moving the ball down the field and expect that the girls will be blocking, then they're basically taught that sex is like a game. And if she says no, then it's his job to really get her to change her mind. That is really problematic. And also, I truly believe that there are so many well-intentioned people that have been conditioned to believe that this is normal, that this is okay. And another thing to keep in mind, because sexual coercion happens not just to women, it happens to men, it happens to non-binary people, it happens to trans people, it happens to cisgendered people. Another thing to keep in mind is that those male gender roles often include the idea that men always want sex. And so this really puts women in a heterosexual relationship at risk for being coercive if a man is afraid to say no for fear of appearing to be less masculine. And by the way, this happens in queer sex relationships as well. This is not simply het sex issues. Right. And can we, I know we have lots, so much to discuss, but can we also, now that we're talking about it, let's talk about power dynamics. Oh, absolutely. So power dynamics can play a huge role in in what makes us more vulnerable. If I'm really attracted to someone, they may feel like there is a little bit power play there, that I might be willing to do more things because of that attraction. This also can affect our vulnerability if I'm part of a marginalized community. So as a black woman or a trans person or some other marginalized identity, um, I may have to navigate power dynamics really frequently. And I am a white cisgendered woman, but I see how people can be much more vulnerable to sexual coercion and other types of assault and predation. Yeah. And 
Okay, so I feel like I'm jumping around here a little bit, but you sent me a couple of links to articles, which I'm going to drop into the episode description, this episode description, and I'll also share it on our Facebook group, the Empowerment Project uh, community on Facebook. And, um, and like talking about power dynamics, so much of our empowerment self-defense work is the the onus feels like it's always been on us the people who are most at risk for sexual assault and violence and for so many years i've said that if things are really going to change men need to be doing this work with other men as statistics tell us we know uh men comprise the vast majority of of perpetrators let's just call it out um and so yeah, these articles that you sent were so refreshing to me because they're written by guys. So thanks to Harris O'Malley and Eden Strong. Do you want to tell us a little bit about these two articles that you sent and how you use them in your classes? So the article by Dr. Nerdlove. So he's <laughs> Which a blogger, is a great name. Right? Yeah. It's called When Yes Really Means No. And he's sharing some personal experience and really using it as a way to educate other men about what is coercion and what what is reasonable um, in terms of healthy sexual relationships. So one of the things that I think is really important is he talks about how there's a difference between seduction and coercion. And I have had students say, well, you know, I set a boundary and I said, you can't touch me below the waist. And then by the end of the night, we were, we were having sex. And I feel like I was just being seduced. But I don't feel like that's really the complete story either. And so understanding what is the difference between seduction and coercion is really important. And I don't know who else is talking about this. Thank you, Dr. Nerdlove. Thank you, Dr. Nerdlove. Right? So seduction is encouraging arousal in someone who has not set a boundary, such as do not touch me below the waist. And seduction still requires consent. So seduction it's really important that we've got willing participants. And I like to say having enthusiastic consent. Mm -hmm. So not just willing, but like really excited about it. I mean, sex is so much better when we're enthusiastic about it rather than, you know, when's it going to be over? Right. <laughs> so I think that's a really important piece so reading that blog about seduction versus coercion. Coercion involves guilt and manipulation, maybe an implied threat that that relationship is at stake, and learning how to distinguish seduction from coercion. And the other article, I believe, is written by a woman, Eden Strong. Is it rape if you say yes? So she really outlines five different pieces and one of them is the use of alcohol. So I think it's rather interesting that, well, when I was growing up, 
during the John Hughes film era, it really seemed like people should drink alcohol to kind of loosen up so that they can do sexy things. And is that giving you any bodily autonomy? Um, let me tell you from my experience, the answer is no. So that is one of the five components that she talks about. I, I just want to touch, I hope this isn't going too far out of the spectrum, but she calls the article, is it rape if you say yes? And when people experience sexual coercion, I really want to support them as a survivor of sexual assault. And I don't want to get into the legalities, but sexual coercion is not always labeled the same from state to state. And the Oregon state law defines sexual coercion as sexual abuse and not rape. Mm -hmm. So saying, is it rape if you say yes? I don't want to go down the rabbit hole of defining the laws, but I want to support people with their lived experiences. I think that's the real key issue. Agreed with you. The feeling, the experience, possible trauma or hardship that comes from it, concern, fear, those things are what matter. Yes. Yeah. Well, those articles are really good. So I'm going to pop them, um, pop the links into the description and onto the Facebook page. So if you would like to read them yourselves, please do. They're really, really great. And um, part of your um, homework that you give your students, right? Yes, yeah. absolutely. All right. Um, so now you have homework, listeners. <laughs> Do you, um, can we listen to your uh, podcast clips? First, I want to say that sexual activities other than intercourse can be coercive. Any type of physical intimacy that I am not ready to have can be coercive. I can be pressured to feel that there's some obligation. So it could be an unwanted blowjob, or it could be engaging in sexual activity in a place where we don't want to, like maybe it's in a movie theater, someone's pressuring me. So there's not necessarily any force or explicit threat, but somehow we're made to feel obligated. So in this first excerpt, we're going to listen to Caitlin Press, who's a podcaster, and she's using a male voice actor to recreate a scene where she's being asked for a blowjob. And I want to just let you know that there's explicit language. And it's going to be about four and a half minutes. So if you want to jump ahead, I understand. Take care of yourself. Take some breaths. I want to set it up just a little bit more for you. So Caitlin's going to reference an encounter with Jason Skidmore and you don't have that background information. Don't worry about it. You're still going to get the essential message of the story. And sometimes it's a little bit difficult to hear her whispering in the background. So what you need to know is that she's saying she doesn't like coffee and she whispers something about not being available on Saturday. 
So she's really focusing on her inability to say no historically. So again, it's four and a half minutes long. It's not violent in the traditional definition of the term. However, this, what I'm sharing with you, is definitely a violation. So it's pretty emotional for people. So remember to breathe. Let's take a deep breath right now. <sighs> From PRX's Radiotopia, welcome to the heart. I'm Caitlin Prest, and this is No. Just a little warning before we start. Just like in everything that we do on the heart, there are some uncomfortable moments. But in this series, they might be particularly upsetting for some people. So take care of you. Come on, give me a blowjob. I'm 17. It's 4 a.m. My ride home left without me three hours ago. Trevor Smalls missed his ride too, and we're both crashing in our friend's basement. Trevor looks like Hayden Christensen. He's hot. I've been vying for his attention for most of high school, but I don't want to give him a blowjob. I've never done it before. I have a boyfriend, and, like, we've never even kissed or anything even close to that. I don't, I don't want to. But I'm frozen. Two years after the Jason Skidmore incident, I've not yet learned how to say no to an advance of any kind, even non-sexual advances. You want a lift? Uh, where are you going? In the complete opposite direction that you need to go. Sure, that, that, that sounds good. You want a free coffee? This is the one in the house. Yeah, sounds great. Hey, you, you gotta, gotta come to our party on Saturday. Saturday. Definitely, I can't wait. Hey baby, nice ass. Oh, thanks. Thank you. Back on the couch with Trevor. I'll hurt his feelings if I say no. There will be an uncomfortable moment if I say no. All of the fears around saying no are flooding through me. It's very flattering that he wants me to give him a blowjob. Might mean he likes me. This might be my chance for love. I want him to like me. If I say no, he definitely won't like me. I close my eyes and brace myself. I think I can do it this time. I really think I can. Um, no, I don't think I should. Wow. I did it. I fucking said no. I feel so good. I'm so proud of myself. Amazing. This is really... Come on. Give me a blowjob. He's gonna make me say it again? Fuck. Uh, no. I I don't... I don't want to. (sighs) Come on. Give me a blowjob. Give me a blowjob. Give me a blowjob. Give me a blowjob. It wasn't easier the second time. At all. Give me a blowjob. Give me a blowjob. Give me a blowjob. Come on. Give me one. Give me one. He puts my hand on his dick. Just do it. Come on. Just do it. Just do it. Give me a blowjob. This was the moment that I learned that saying no wasn't enough. That someone could wear me down, little by little. 
that it would start to feel like a Twilight Zone moment where everything was normal before and now suddenly the walls are bending in on each other and you learn that you're actually a ghost. You start to think you're crazy. You feel trapped. You're having an argument about whether you're going to suck a guy's dick. And even though the air is super tense with this argument feeling, he still wants you to suck his dick. The only way for this awful moment to end is just to do what he says. Come on. And you do it. Maybe you tell yourself that you're enjoying it. Maybe you tell yourself that there's something tender about this moment. And at the same time, part of you is silently screaming. It's like a dream. You open your mouth and nothing comes out. Thank you, Sylvia. So wherever you are right now, stand up, take a deep breath, shake your hands, fingers, shake your feet, your legs. I know it might look a little silly, but research suggests that women who are not afraid of embarrassment are less likely to be assaulted. So shaking it out is really a great tool for managing adrenaline. I know it looks funny, but don't worry about being embarrassed. Just go for it. <laughs> go for it. Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. Oh. So clearly he was discounting Caitlin's no, her repeated no. And there was a power dynamic. She said Trevor was hot and she vied for his attention throughout high school. So it just, listening to that voice really makes it so much more realistic than hearing a story. Could you just feel it in your body? Could you just feel it in your body? And how many of us have had that voice, heard that voice, you know, or something very similar to that? Um, And I love where she's like, I feel so good. I said, no, I'm so empowered. You know, I, I kicked butt. I'm rocking. And he's like, no, really. I really want you to do this. And she's like, what? <laughs> what? <Right>? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Saying no yeah. is not enough. What? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you know, that's what I tell kids in my self-defense classes. Like you sometimes have to say it more than once. Like, you, like when you tell someone this is what happened when you tell a trusted adult, they might not believe you. You have to say it again. This is true with empowerment self-defense. Sometimes saying no is not enough. You know, you've got to say it again and again and again and again and again. And yeah, he just wore her down. So is there anything more you want to say about this particular clip before we move on to the second one? Well... I just want to acknowledge that if listeners, community, if you have not thought about sexual coercion before, if this is a new new term, I am sure there are past encounters 
that are surfacing in your mind. And I just want you to know that you're not alone. You are not alone. And I encourage you to find someone to talk to. But this is really common. So talk to friends, talk to a professional. Um, it, this is not easy It's stuff. not. And Justine, as you know, the more we talk with one another about our past about our experiences with especially with regard to sexual assault and violence and you know yes coercion the more stories we remember like or put it into a new context like oh yeah like I remember when I got a ride home from a professor he took uh met up with our class at a bar and I didn't have a car and I was in big city Philadelphia and he's like hey do you want to ride home? And I was like, oh, sure. Cause he's what my professor. Right. And, and on the ride home yeah. in the car, he's like, I want you to suck my dick. Right. And, and I was like, what? No. But all the things running through my head were like, what about my grades? Like what, what about, what does he think that I owe him? And he was telling me like, I gave you a ride home. What did you think I was doing? You know, this, of course, this is what right. I expect. And I was like, what? Same, you know, so these are stories that like, oh, yeah, this is this is an example of coercion. You know, so this right. happens with me. And yeah, you're not alone. You're not alone. Right. And at the end, um, as we're wrapping up, um, which we'll be doing in a little bit, but as we're wrapping up, we're going to talk about like if things come up for you. While you're listening to this episode, what are some strategies you can use to take care of yourself? What are some ways that you can heal yourself or, you know, protect yourself, take care of yourself as we move forward? Do you want to set us up for the next one? Okay, so we're going to listen to another segment from The Heart. Caitlin is talking with a variety of women about having sex that they don't want. Again, it's not violent in the traditional definition. It is explicit and it is a violation. And this is a five minute recording. Go ahead. I begin to wonder if having sex I don't want is something I've absorbed from generations past. If it's something I've inherited from my foremothers. How do you say no, that's rude or that's not polite or... This is my mom. Why are you saying no? You're hurting the guy's feelings. Her friend with someone who you're interested in, if you say no, are they gonna just give up and walk away? And then you're going, okay, is the, should I just go along with it so I don't lose that? He could have been a great guy, but if he's that pushy, is he that great of a guy, right? Like, you, you balance that out, but I think that is where the challenge lies, is with what if he then just walks away? Another friend of ours. I mean, it's subtle because, you know, on the one hand, you're having attention. I mean, I was brought up as a, a female to um, to want male attention. You know, that that was a status symbol, actually. You know, if you were an attractive enough woman that you could um, get attention from men, that was considered an important thing. That was how you were maybe going to end up finding a husband and having children and doing that really conventional stuff. So those ideas, they don't just like come up all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're surrounded by that, your, your whole upbringing. And like, when was the first time that you had an experience where you felt like you were allowed to 
change gears? I was in my late 40s and he stopped and asked, are you sure this is what you want? I had never, ever, ever been asked that before. And I was like shocked. I didn't like, uh, uh, you know, speechless in responding to him because I never had been asked that before. By this point in my life, I felt strongly that I was different from my foremothers, that my generation would be different. But I talk to people my age and I hear the same attitudes, the same feelings. He kept telling me that the reasons I was saying no were stupid. I was drunk and crying. You know, a drunk crying girl generally wants to be consoled to some extent, but not with sex. I told him he couldn't fuck me and then his dick was in me. You know? And then I was like, oh my god, we're having sex. I thought we talked about this. And even then, the whole night was nice. That part was just sucked. How do I give him what he wants in a way that's not terrible for me, but I can, like, deal with? It's like your gut instinct will tell you, like, no, I don't want this, and say no in a cute way, and then say no in a forced way and push. And then there was a point where you just, like, it's like, I literally just gave up. Let's just let him have this now because I fought enough. And like, I don't want to make a scene. I don't want to wake up anyone. And like, you know, it's like, oh, my roommate's sleeping and she's going to get being like a slut on the couch. And like, it was like these mental gymnastics that you do to not tell yourself that you're not putting your needs first, but that like all these people matter so much. I talked to my 20 year old cousin She's almost a decade younger than me. Like my first boyfriend, I just wanted to please because I didn't know what I was doing. So I was just going for it and trying stuff and like not asking questions. And at the beginning, it's, oh, I want that person to like me. I want this to be fun for that person and not thinking about yourself and just being like, okay, I'm trying stuff. It makes me think of something that my best friend Laura said. I was talking about being a people pleaser. I'm like, yeah. how? And you said that that's how, the, that's how women that's how sur- survive. Yeah, I think women survive by yeah, being aware and reading social cues. And um, we know when someone's going to be angry. We know when someone might lash out. We know when someone's afraid. We know when somebody's sad. We know when somebody's happy and... and we know when, when we're safe and we know when we're not safe. And sometimes, you know, there's the element of using sex as a social currency to stay safe and using sex as a social currency to belong in the group, even if the group is just you and one other person. So I want to offer another strategy for adrenaline management. So if you just look around the space that you're in and identify three objects, name them, three objects that are green or have green in them, just look around your space and breathe. So again, I want to acknowledge that these excerpts are all referencing het sex, but sexual coercion can be an issue in queer sex as well. 
And by talking about sexual coercion, hopefully we can identify it more easily because unfortunately sexual coercion seems to be acceptable. There's so many sitcoms and movies that portray sexual coercion as if it's normal. But if we can learn to respond to coercion, we're going to feel so much more safer and empowered to make choices based on what we want, what we need in all aspects of our lives. Justine, you're a font of, (laughs) you're a font of wisdom. It's so cool that this has become an area that you've delved into because it is such a base for our empowerment and our feeling good and feeling safe as we walk on planet Earth. Thank you, Sylvia. And I've just been trying not to fangirl out. Oh, my God. You're so funny. You're cracking me up. Um, I feel like we're at a point where we can do a wrap-up. But before we do that, I want to – thank you, by the way. That was sweet of you to say that. Is there anything that – we haven't talked about. So next episode, we have some other stuff that we're going to talk about. But is there anything else about coercion that you well, want to drop here? So I think that it's important to say that this segment that we just listened to, Caitlin calls this inheritance. Mm-hmm. And when you and I meet for part two, I really want to explore this because I think it makes us so much more resilient. What are these inherited ideas that we have about sex? They may be ideas that we have from our parents or that we get from media and entertainment or from our crushes or our friends. And how does this affect our ability to say no to unwanted sex or other forms of intimacy? Just like Caitlin was talking to the women in her life. I want to have these conversations and encourage you to explore what are these thoughts because that's what's going to help us be more resilient totally and socialization can totally get in the way of us standing up for ourselves all these myths and beliefs and like thoughts that we get from things that are around us from our yeah like you said like our from our our dna our very dna um and we're going to talk about shame too and and how that interplays with all of this because we're talking about intimate things and there's shame wrapped up in a lot of this stuff especially if we've had trauma in our background or survived assault um so yeah so we're gonna we're gonna talk about all that stuff um anything else you want to mention about coercion before we wrap up like we've covered a lot of the bases and I just am really excited to to move forward looking at what can make us more resilient and and being more assertive with what our needs are and feeling more comfortable being sexually assertive so I'm really happy with with what we've done too so let's talk about um if this episode brought something up for our listeners, um, which it may, it may have, let's talk about self-care and how, like, what are ways that we can take care of ourselves when these kinds of things happen? 
like I want to just start off by mentioning something that you already said, like find a friend, talk with your friends, like make some phone calls or go find some people you can hang out with safely in a park or like, you know, with your roommates or uh, people that you trust and talk about your stories and things that you're realizing and tough things that you, you feel. What, what other things do you recommend, Justine? Well, I just want to say that sharing our stories can be so cathartic and so frightening because there's a lot of shame often that's tied up in it. But sharing these stories often really helps us to release that shame and say the person who was pushing and not taking no for an answer and wearing me down, it was really their responsibility and that's where the shame should lie. Um, I think it's really important to know that that type of healing is available. And if you can't talk with a friend or and or uh, talk with a therapist or call a hotline, the Rape, Abuse and Incest National Network, RAIN, Number is 1-800-656-4673. I'll put it in the episode description because they're there to listen to the stories that we have too. Not just when we're in like massive crisis, but like this, I just realized this and it's, it's, it's really pissing me off. Or, you know, I just had this, I just put two and two together and I... I am so ashamed or I feel so scared or, you know, whatever the things are that are coming up for us. I want to also mention that pressing charges is sometimes an option. Uh, I just had one of my students who is an adult now um, recently, like maybe six months or so ago, they told me that by listening to my podcast, they had this realization of of a sexual assault that was coercion begun with coercion and ended in rape. And that, uh, anyway, they reached out to me and they were like, I just put two and two together and I don't know what to do with it. So we, we chatted for a while and they've decided just last week, they decided to go ahead and tell the university, report it report what happened, which is something that you can always do. We can always do. It comes with challenges. It comes with lots of potential for losing pieces of control and uh, things being kind of out of your hands. Um, But if you're feeling brave and you talk to people that you trust, your friends and your family, they can help you decide if this is the right route for you to get a sense of closure. Yeah. And talking to someone who's an advocate so that they can really help you understand what are the challenges for reporting and knowing how they can best support you. Yeah. And things like, like really easy things like go for a walk, go play with your dog, you know, get outside, um, stuff like that. Like listen to music, things that things that bring you joy, like to move past this feeling that like, uh, I just realized that this thing happened. Um, so yeah, anything else, Justine, you want to add to our list of self-care? Of self-care? Well, mm-hmm. yoga would be my number one go-to. 
Um, and also, you know, when I was remembering things that had happened in my life, which is what happened when I spoke with Dr. Charlene Sen about her sexual assault resistance training program, um, it really was in the forefront of my mind. It was so hard to not keep thinking about it, even though I thought I had dealt with so much. Um, just remembering that there's, there's beauty inherently present all around us to take a break and step outside and, and see what that beauty is. And that gives me the the courage and some ability then to really examine the harder things, but I have to be able to take a break and be reminded of the goodness and laugh with friends. Yeah. Ditto. <laughs> Ditto all that you just yeah. said. So listeners, we love you. Thank you for listening as we chatted and Justine, we love you too. Thank you for sharing your extensive knowledge and your wisdom about coercion. There is so much here. Uh, it was just wonderful sharing time with all of you listeners and Justine and um, listen to our next episode where Justine and I are going to talk with you about you. We want to turn our attention to you, to your lived experience, your sexual health, your empowerment, your self-defense toolkit, your resilience. And uh, you can subscribe to or follow this podcast wherever you listen um, so that you'll know when that episode drops, it'll automatically update. Um, meanwhile, stay safe and don't forget to find an empowerment self-defense class near you so you can practice hitting and kicking and yelling, which are things that we always want you to have in your back pocket. Plus it's cathartic, you know, talk about another self-care thing. Like, you know, you can think about just getting it out, those feelings of rage or just frustration or all of the things. So, so yeah. And, um, Justine, anything you want to say in wrap up bye-bye stuff? <laughs> oh, what an honor to, to do this work with you, Sylvia. I, I want to thank you so much for, for putting out this podcast. You're really making a difference in people's you lives. You know, empowerment self-defense makes a difference in the world. It makes a difference in the way that we all walk through the world. And it, like we talked about at the beginning, it, it, it changes everything, our perspectives and the way we move as we live our lives. And so thank you for all the teaching that you do and um, yeah, mutual admiration society. So thanks everybody. And um, we'll see you next time. It's affirmation time. This is how I end every self-defense class. It's kind of cheesy, but it's very cool, and this is how it works. We're going to do like a little call and response. If you can say this out loud, if you can repeat after me, do it, because it's important, I think, for you to hear your own voice. But if you can't, like if you're on a crowded subway or someplace where it's embarrassing, don't worry. You can also just say it inside your head. Okay, so I'm going to say something and you're going to repeat it after me. I'm going to give you space to do that. And at the end, we're going to say yes. Here we go. Repeat after me. I am worth protecting. I love myself. 
I belong. I deserve to take up space on planet Earth. I am a strong and powerful person. Yes! Woohoo! And hey, as a wrap up, will you do me a favor? Will you do all the things that you do when there's a podcast? Like, will you tell your friends? Will you subscribe? Will you come back each week? Communicate with me? Review this podcast? Like, all those things to help get more bandwidth, help more people find out about it. That would be super awesome. Take a deep breath. You are amazing. Thank you for being with me. See you next time.